0: When I was in grade 10, the love of my life at the time broke up with me and my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer, like within the same week. So this like really fucked me up for lack of a better word. Um, And my dad was a smoker and began, so when he got sick, I think just like out of rebellion, I decided I would steal his cigarettes. So I started smoking and hanging out with this totally different crowd And when I started using drugs for my first use, I was totally hooked
1: Okay, welcome back, everyone, to the Money, Mindset, and Manifestation podcast. Today, we have a freaking guest. And if you have joined us since we did the name change, you'd be like, guest, what's this? <laughs> I have not had a guest on the podcast, and I'm not kidding. I'm I just saying, I think, like, five, six months. I don't, even, I don't even know what month it is. Like, I don't even know. Um, so I'm so excited to have Jordana on the podcast today. If you do not know Jordana, you guys are about to be obsessed. So where do I even begin with us? So by some grace of God, somehow you found me on Instagram and we worked together for Jordana's branding and website. We redid it back in, oh my gosh, I think it was August. Wait, stop. I was going to say October. Was it really August? Oh my God. Okay. Okay. See, time is, like, not a thing for me right now. Um, Okay, whoa, that's – oh, my gosh. Wait, no, I remember because I actually remember where I was on a discovery call. I was in Bondi. But I was like, why was I in Bondi? It's because I was there on, like, a girl's trip. Okay, that's so crazy that it was that long ago. So then – So then we, yeah, we did our everything together and we were all obsessed with Jordana. So two girls on our team, one being me and my project manager, Lisa, who does all the content for the website, she did Jordana's content first. So like all the writing. And she's like, Marley, I'm, like, signing with Jordana. She's so talented, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, that's so fun. Like, you know, working with our clients. And then I did Jordana's website, reading over the content. I'm like, wait, Lisa, I'm signing with Jordana. <laughs> it's just, like, it's just like one of those things where we both read it. We're like, this girl knows what she's talking about. And I feel like she's exactly what is what I was looking for for so long in terms of someone to help me with my anxiety. Because, well, you'll hear everything that. You'll just, you'll hear once you hear it. And then, and then our journey does not end there. Then we work together and Jordana really helped heal my anxiety. And that had like a snowball effect on so many things in my life that improved since working with Jordana. So I basically like shout Jordana from the rooftops. Anytime anyone comes to me with anything, I'm like, just text Jordana, just message Jordana. (laughs) And because, again, you'll hear I don't want to give too much away. Then when I started my coaching practice, Jordana was like, Marley, we need to work together. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? This is the best thing ever. So now Jordana is one of my coaching clients, which is, the, again, the best thing ever. So we've had this like journey of like working together, but in the best way possible. And I'm so excited to bring Jordana on the podcast today. Because she's a freaking badass. And when I heard her story, I was like, are you joking me? This is, like, you are so incredible. More incredible than I thought you were before. And I get a lot of questions about, you know, anxiety, health, mental health. And I'm, like, so here to break the stigma about it. However, Jordana knows it on such a deeper scientific level, can actually explain it where i cannot i'm like oh i feel good i don't feel good but jordana knows the actual like (laughs) neuroscience around it which i think is so interesting so jordana thank you so much for being on the (laughs) the podcast today let's start with your story so jordana owns the mindful clinic let's bring everyone from like the baby beginnings to jordana to where we are today no pressure (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh, thank you so much Marley. It's honestly an honor. Like it, I can't even follow the way that you just hyped me up. So, hopefully I'll be able to match that. But um okay, so starting I guess from the very beginning up until the birth of the mindful clinic. Um you know, I grew up pretty much as like an only child. So, my all of my siblings are significantly older than me and they had all moved out by then. So, there was just like a lot of attention on me. And my mom is an Italian chef. Um where she grew up where there was like food scarcity. So her answer to everything is just to eat. Like you're sick, eat, (laughs) you're unhappy, eat. Um, And I remember just like literally constantly eating. Like there was never a time in the day where I wasn't like being served food or eating in front of the TV. I was just always, always eating. So naturally I was like much larger than any of my peers. And I was one of the only overweight kids in class because at that time, obesity rates were not so high. So in elementary school, I stood out like a sore thumb and I was bullied and ridiculed for my weight and my wild, thick and curly hair. Now, granted, like this is the Britney Spears era, so I just think really did not fit in at all. Um, But, you know, with all the rejection and bullying, I learned from a very young age that I was just not good enough the way that I was. And so I began to develop this pretty strong, like self-loathing complex. And there was a lot of attention of food in my house in general. So like how much I was eating and how much I wasn't eating. And I remember my friends coming over and my mom offering them seconds and then being like, oh, no, Jordana, you've had too much. (laughs) So um, my mom is also very fixated on appearances. So, you know, being from an Italian culture, it's all about like your image and how other people perceive you. And so I always had to be done up in this like very extraordinary way. No, okay. Let me be very clear that it's not all my mom's fault. She, she obviously was doing the best that she could and deals with her own demons, like on a daily basis. But you would think that after being ridiculed for being overweight in school, like I would stop drowning myself in food, but food really became my only source of happiness. So I began to like self-medicate with sugary treats and like multiple courses of pasta. And when I was in grade four, I had a crush on this boy in my class. And you know, we were playing tag outside and I was it. And I remember this so vividly, like I caught him for tag and he was like, fatty caught me. And I swear to God, I remember these words as if it's a movie playing in front of me. And this is 20 years later, but this is the thing about trauma and how it profoundly encodes in the nervous system. So this was like an a motivating factor for me to go on a diet at eight years old, and I ended up switching schools to get away from the bullying. But it didn't really end; it just kind of like relocated. Um, okay, I was always a really smart kid um, because my mom was older when she had me, which was like not common for those times. Um, as soon as I was born, my IQ was trained and tested at U of T from like birth to age thirteen. So I would go there every single week and play like intellectual games, which taught me to expand my memory and think and really think in kind of like a unique way. I would do things like lucid dreaming and memory games. And it was just really, really interesting, really cool. So um, I was also very attached to my father as a child, and he had extremely high expectations of me. So I was kind of like bred into perfectionism this way. And bringing home a grade of like 98% was just never good enough. So to this day, I still really struggle with being an overachiever. And this really kind of continued up until I went to high school. So I went to an arts high school for music theater. And when I was in grade 10, the love of my life at the time broke up with me. And my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer, like within the same week. So this like really fucked me up for lack of a better word. Um, And my dad was a smoker and began I so when he got sick, I think just like out of rebellion, I decided I would steal his cigarettes. So I started smoking and hanging out with this totally different crowd. And when I started using drugs for my first use, I was totally hooked. It was like I had finally found something that I liked more than food so through using drugs i lost a lot of weight and i was reinforced by the praise that i received from everyone around me so instead of eating i would just like take ecstasy first thing in the morning on on a school day (laughs) just like go to class um that is a vibe (laughs) (laughs) it's really bad um i honestly stopped performing like my art altogether and stopped going to school and so um my grades obviously completely it's like it's a miracle i even got into university or graduated But I ended up going to university at Concordia in Montreal. So it was really here that the addiction really started to take over and I got lost in the world of cocaine and partying and um, so much so that there's an actual bone sticking out from inside my nose. And I was asked not to return to Concordia because I flunked out of my first two years. So my parents asked me to come home at that point and I moved back to Toronto And I guess in an attempt to save myself, I pulled back from the chemical drugs. I also didn't have like as much access here as I did in Montreal. Um, But like instead of stopping addictions altogether, I just moved from one addiction to the next, and I ended up picking up drinking and eating instead. So I made multiple attempts to go back to school um, through like Humber College and Ryerson University, but I just couldn't finish either degree. I was just so wrapped up in, you know, my addictive tendencies and, and my emotional self. But when I was 20, I met the real love of my life, um, working at a restaurant in Oakville. And within two years, I found myself like an alcoholic working in a restaurant as a hostess and knocked up having my son was the best thing that's ever happened to me because it forced me to kind of reevaluate the choices that I had made. And, you know, I had to stop drinking and smoking during pregnancy. So, um, and it, and it kind of made me ask questions about, you know, who I really am and and how I've been trying to hide myself for the past couple of years, like decade or so. So I was hired, um, well, sorry, I went back to school when my son was nine months old because I, I wanted to become a nutritionist and try and heal my disordered eating. And when I graduated from the Institute of Holistic Nutrition, I graduated with first class honors and I was chosen to be valedict- valedictorian, um, which was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, and I really, for the first time, like, felt like myself again. I, I felt like I had finally uncovered and found the Jordana that I was as a child, So I originally wanted to learn about how to fix my eating habits, but as I began to change my diet, I recognized that all of my mental health issues, like my mood swings, my deep, my low lows, my high highs, my anxiety, all of it just kind of went away. And it was here that I really fell in love with the idea and the connection between mental health and nutrition, so right after I graduated, I was hired um, right out of school to work with him, a medical doctor with Dr. Mohammed Abraham and his obesity medicine clinic. And it was just the two of us. So I, I was really lucky because I got to like work side by side with him and learn the ins and outs of the Western um, medicine area. And we saw over 400 patients and we actually she ended up writing a book together on overcoming obesity and it's available on Amazon. <laughs> um, and uh, in the clinic, I saw so many people suffering with the same stuff that I did. Like the thing is, is we all know what's healthy, but we just don't always choose to eat the thing that's best for our body. So I became obsessed with this idea of like, uncovering people's behaviors towards food and, and brain behavior activity and understanding the motivation um, between what makes us choose the things that we do and, and self-sabotage ourselves. Um, so I went back to school again to complete a master's and PhD in neuroscience and behavioral neuropsychology, which I originally wanted to learn how to just facilitate behavioral changes around food. But like, my God, it's bloomed into so much more than that. Um Yeah. And so, you know, last year, I really I took the leap and branched out on my own launching the Mindful Clinic, where um, this is where I help clients recover from their disorders. And I use a very specific program that I've put together over the past, you know, two, three years and over the past five years in my career that incorporates like neuroscience, nutrition, supplemental and behavioral psychological interventions so that I can help people like truly heal and actually thrive. So I'm currently still in school, and I probably will be for the rest of my life, to be honest, because I love learning. Um, But other than my son, my practice is my entire life. Like, I honestly never, ever stop working. I am an overachiever, I will admit it. But it, it really doesn't even feel like work. And, you know, I think that it's kind of crazy that I can, you know make an income or make money doing like just sharing my, my story and my expertise and helping people overcome the same things that I went through. It's like almost too good to be true. Um, but you know, as of now I can truly say that like, I'm no longer addicted to anything, like not substances, not over-exercising and certainly not food. Um, and that's, that's honestly, I think I've, I've brought you up to date. Like I've, I've kind of healed myself and now just, I help people do the same thing.
1: Doriana, this is why I was so excited for you to come on that podcast, because your story is unlike anything I've ever heard. And I truly believe that we have to go through so many things in life to get to the point that we're at. Like, everything is a stepping stone to get to where we are right now. And I do not think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the practitioner that you are today, wouldn't be as fuel driven and motivated if you hadn't hadn't gone through all those hardships. Would you agree? Oh my gosh. It's almost like
0: every single shit situation that like I've been through and I've put myself through had to happen that way so that I can help others. Like, and it's kind of like the same concept as like, you wouldn't trust a skinny chef. Like I would (laughs) probably never take nutritional advice or like advice like weight loss advice from someone who's never had to lose weight or like who's never been addicted to food. Like I think it's so important to be able to relate to your clients on a basis where, you know, you've actually been through something. So you have something like real to offer.
1: Amen. And this can even like, just to bring this quickly to coaching, is that it actually makes me LOL when I see people like oh business coach I'm like hon you haven't even had a business like how are you business coaching so I think this is actually a really good lesson just when you're hiring a practitioner a coach or anything do your research and I think this is why sharing your story just honestly I was like whoa because now when I well before when I go to you you're like yep I've been there like I know what you're talking about and it just like humanizes how you're feeling and it makes you feel so supported because coming to you about something that's so it's very um intimate sharing how I'm feeling like mentally I'm almost like Jordan can I call you Jord (laughs) (laughs) um I'm always like Jord's I have like th- you're gonna think I'm crazy. You're like, my this is completely normal. I'm like, oh, thank God, <laughs> you know, and just like that relief because it's something that is very like I'm like laughing right now, but it's something really hard. You don't want to talk to anyone about it because mental health is so has such a stigma around it, right? Mm-hmm. And even someone like myself, who I hate admitting when something is wrong, I hate admitting needing help, but it just got to this point where I'm like, I'm. I don't want to be living, like, I'm trying to be my best self, and if I have anxiety every day, that's not in alignment with who I want to be and how to show up to be a better partner, a better coach, a better businesswoman, so, I mean, we'll skip ahead to that, but I just want to emulate and echo back to you that I think, based off your story, like, it broke my heart that that guy said that to you, and also, one thing I I now know, like, Jordan and I have a mutual friend that we've been, like, freaking out about, but <laughs> the school that you went to was so known for drugs, so yeah. I'm not surprised, because, honestly, everyone that I knew that went to that school was heavily into drugs, yeah. and I remember my friend who went there was like, I did MDMA on the weekend, I was like, you did what? Like, I didn't even know what that was, I'd never heard of it, I our school was, like, an itty-bitty farm town so I think the biggest thing that we did was like marijuana um and I feel weird I felt so uncool just saying that but so you know that saying where you're like your network like you are the five most people you spend your time with so it doesn't surprise me that that happened because everyone there does drugs so I feel like almost if you didn't do drugs it was kind of weird
0: yeah yeah honestly, like we would drop LSD and like go to class. And then when we couldn't handle it anymore, we would just like leave and sit on in the field watching the clouds. Like it was, it was kind of ridiculous. And it's funny because when I was in grade, like when I was in elementary school, we had like the D.A.R.E. program come in and um, I actually wrote a song. This is another thing I used to, because I was, I I loved singing. So I used to like go and sing in front of the entire school. And honestly it didn't help the bullying and the ridicule like I really put myself in a position uh, to be bullied but I remember coming up with this this song about i um, doing drugs to you know the song, like I will survive it was all about like saying no and, do, and not, not doing drugs and then like I ended up getting so caught up in
1: the scene so it was it was very ironic for me I want to like do a like, when they do your, like, biography of your life, we need that audio over top of your, like, childhood years. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, I have, like, a, such a random question, Jordana. I knew Hi. that you, you were tested at UFT. Yeah, because you know how you like meet people and like I'm really smart, and then, but when you are like no, I am actually really smart. <laughs> um, so I'm just like out of curiosity, like how did they peg you? Like how did they like find you to be like whoa? Yeah. And then bring you in? Was it yeah. at school? What happened?
0: No, it was it was honestly like straight from birth because when older women because my mom was quite older when she had me she was like 47 which was so uncommon then so typically when older women had children that old like the children had like Asperger's or autism or like they had like like developmental disabilities so when mm-hmm. I came out I was like quote unquote like nothing wrong with me I was normal and so they were like hey can we run some studies on your child for a while and like see what's up and so it, it started off as something like kind of completely benign and then it ended up turning into this like like really crazy like intellectual study um where because obviously they had to test my IQ every single time I went right like even as a child so I I obviously I don't remember when I was going there like at two or three years old but I I can imagine that you know I was playing with blocks I was doing this and that and that's how they would test it but then as time went on, I remember like very vividly playing game, like doing memory games. I, I would do, um, lucid dreaming stuff. So they would have me lie down and like, they would give me, um, you know, like kind of like a meditation and I would like kind of fall asleep and I'd have to wake up and like tell them everything that happened in my dream and like write it down. And like, there was all these like exercises that I would go through particularly with like memory games and math games to help just like keep my memory very sharp. And so if you ever work with me any of you, or you end up, you know, following me on social media, you'll notice that I speak very, very fast and I, I can remember most of the things that I hear. So like, I am really that annoying girl in class. It's like, I know, I know, I know. But, like I, I, especially if I like the information, it just sticks.
1: Oh, wow. Cause I, Last night, Jordan, I had an intake call with my boyfriend, Max. Everyone knows Max on this podcast. (laughs) And Jordan is, like, whipping out these, like, words and knowledge. And I was, like, just sitting back being, like, holy shit. It's so crazy to me just hearing you in your element because Mm -hmm. you're just, like, explaining things, like, saying all these scientific words. I'm, like, damn. (laughs) I feel like I'm listening to, like, a 40-year-old, like, neurosurgeon. and. Oh, just Jordana on the phone. Not just Jordana, we know, but just Jordana on the phone. (laughs) And it's so incredible to me how you process information and regurgitate it in a way that's digestible. So when you are explaining things to me of like how this happens and why this happens, I'm like, oh, that makes complete sense. However, the words that she's using, what she's actually explaining to me, should—if I read that in a book—I'd be like, no, not that's not going anywhere. (laughs) That is not processing. Um, That's so fascinating, though, about your like learning. I almost—I was like, I wish every child had that because it probably progressed you so much further, like in your child development. And in addition, I wonder if that's where like your love for research came from. Probably, yeah that's so fascinating to me and okay. also just hearing um about like your childhood and what you kind of had been fed no pun intended around <laughs> verbiage and stuff I'm like oh well we're gonna work through that together like feeling yeah. subconscious <laughs> um so I was like actually making notes for Cheers. your like coaching I was like oh okay. yeah <laughs> <definitely. laughs> um okay so thank you so much for sharing your story I'm sure everyone's like taking notes just my just picking the jaw off the floor Mm -hmm. um so let's like totally segue and I have so many questions for you that don't really like flow at all but I just want to know and hopefully it just all flows together so I want to really go into addiction because I'm sure everyone listening is maybe an could be suffering from addiction or know someone in their family or in their friendship group that is suffering from addiction right now. And I find it so interesting, especially food addiction. I mean, we can talk about anything, but I'm pretty sure I've listened to, it's like all the same thing. I don't know. I could be wrong. (laughs) Um, But I know that like after I went through a traumatic experience, I really went to food. And especially growing up when I had a food, like an eating disorder, like a restrictive eating disorder. After that passed its course, it went to a binging eating disorder. And I remember just like binging. I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. So Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really interesting to share with the audience for anyone who, you know, knows someone or maybe has experienced a a type of addiction. Like, why is this happening to us? And I don't know if it's, if you have to explain it per addiction or if it kind of has a similar underlying reason.
0: Yeah, um, so definitely all addictions, it doesn't matter what the addiction is because it literally, you know how I said that I just kind of went from one addiction to the next? The substance or the thing that you're using, like the compulsive behavior or whatever it is, it literally doesn't matter because it's not about that. It, it it's so it has so, so little to do with the thing that you choose, um, and so you know I think that it's important to understand that there's a reason why not everybody gets addicted. So when, when they try substances or when they do whatever, like not everybody gets addicted to gambling the first time they do it. Not everybody gets addicted to smoking cigarettes when they try it for the first time. So some people are hooked right away and others can be like more social about using substances or these behaviors. Um, and it really comes down to the endorphin system that develops in childhood. So if there's been any trauma um, and when I talk about trauma, I really want to emphasize that it doesn't need to be something huge like sexual abuse or losing a family member. Um, for me, it was those three simple words like I caught fatty. <laughs> that was my trauma, right? Um, so anyways, the endorphin system develops in childhood. And there are two main ways that the endorphin system can become a regulated So stress in a child's environment or like high cortisol in a child's brain will literally inhibit the endorphin system from developing properly. So this means that they're not going to be able to make important neurotransmitters that are related to like feelings of happiness and pleasure, like serotonin and dopamine and GABA. So another reason is related to the attachment theory. Now, just very briefly, the attachment theory states that it's a basic need for children to develop proper attachment to the people around them. So the human species has the longest attachment period than any other species that exists. Like a horse can literally get up and run the day it's born, but human beings rely on the care and love of the people around them to survive. So like literally, I'm still attached to my parents. (laughs) Like I still rely on them. Um, And when we're children, we are born free to be our true selves, and it's the people around us that can either encourage that, like, special being to be unique or they can encourage that special, like, they can stifle that spe- that, that human being, right? So, for example, like, if you were ever a kid and you threw a tantrum in a store because you didn't get what you want, which is something I did very often, um, if your mother ever said to you, you know, like, stop crying, you're embarrassing me, or, like, good girls don't yell in public, like, it sounds like your mother's just parenting, But that's not what you hear as a child. Like, children don't have the emotional development or cognitive ability to understand that, like, it's not personal. So, instead, what the child hears is that if you express yourself, you're not lovable and therefore it's going to threaten your attachment. So, as a child, you begin to push down your own feelings and your true self to, like, keep that attachment to the adults and the people around you. And this can be, like, adults or peers. Um, So when experiences like this happen in the nervous system, the nervous system encodes these experiences very deeply within the subconscious because it believes that this specific situation has threatened its survival and human beings have the, have an innate ability to want to survive. So these experiences are so deeply rooted in the subconscious that like, you're literally not even aware that the nervous system is constantly playing and replaying and reacting to this specific circumstance or and it perceives danger that like literally does not exist anymore. So in either of the cases, like the first time an individual tries a substance that manipulates the endorphin system, they feel a sort of relief that they have never felt before. It takes away the pain. It literally turns off that fight or flight and temporarily fills a void. So addictions are just that, like the mind will do anything to avoid pain. So people get addicted to substances to protect themselves. Like it has nothing to do with like morals or willpower, or having a choice. Like the brain literally believes that this substance is required for survival. And this can be a compulsive behavior, like biting your nails or lying or choosing abusive partners, or it can be like substances like alcohol, drugs or gambling or shopping or sex or food, <laughs> like literally anything. So, the problem with addiction is that it's so except the, the, the problem with food addiction in general, like you were you were talking about food addiction at the in the beginning, in my opinion, food addiction is probably the most dangerous one, and obviously, I feel that way because this is the one that i I developed as a child um, and what led me to develop addictions of other substances growing up but the problem with food addiction is that it's so accessible and so wildly accepted. Like if I was in the middle of class and I started snorting lines of coke, like you better believe people are going to have something to say. But if I like pull out a chocolate bar and just like eat it in the middle of class, like nobody says anything. Like these foods that and the problem is these foods are chemically derived. Like they're they're made in labs. They're not no one's addicted to apples. Like I've never seen somebody addicted to bro- broccoli. So it's it's a substance in its own way, right? Um, so yeah, like the other thing is if the addiction or the imbalance of dopamine or the, um, dysregulation in the endorphin system develops before the age of 25. So around the age of 25, our prefrontal cortex, um, becomes developed and our prefrontal cortex is where we have all of our critical thinking. And this is where like impulse control lives and, and, um, and you know, regret and, um, like thinking before you act. And if you develop these dysregulation or dopamine feedback loops, before the age of twenty five, then it's very hard to not be addicted to anything. You just kind of go from one addiction to the next because, like I said, like these tendencies are very deeply rooted in the subconscious. It's almost like in the wiring of your nervous system.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay, <laughs> so many things. <laughs> no, I can see my face right now, but I'm like, wait, wait. I'm like moving a little moment. I don't know how to ask this question, but I don't know fully understand. But remember in the very, very beginning how you said um, through your childhood, if you weren't given the ability to live authentically, it can inhibit your endorphin, things like this. So is that permanent or can you re bring that back in? That is such a great question. And
0: I will have you know that I asked that question at a huge, like I went to this conference with, um, Dr. Muhammad Abraham. This is one of the benefits of working so closely with the medical doctors. He got to bring me to all these like huge conferences full of scientists and, and doctors. And I was like the only nutritionist there, but, um, mm-hmm. one of my personal heroes is someone called Dr. Nicole Levina, And I've read her studies, her research studies on, um, how she tested rats for being more addicted to sugar than cocaine. I'm sure we've all heard of the story. It's like pretty, pretty common. Well, when she got up on stage and started talking about it and started talking about how these endorphin systems can be manipulated and, and, um, and affected from childhood, that was the same question I asked. I was like, can we ever fix it? Is this permanent? And she literally looked at me and she was like, it's permanent. There's nothing you can do. And I It was right in that moment, right then and there, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, I straight up will not stand for that answer. And like I said, like, I'm not addicted to anything now. I mean, I do still have overachieving tendencies, but I think that that's just a part of my character at this point. But, you know, she was like, you know, you can develop healthier addictions. Like, you can start being addicted to exercise. But I went down that route, too. And, like, let me tell you, it's not fun down there. Like, it's very destructive. So... In my practice, I've actually ha- like the most beautiful experience I can have working with a client is them coming out of programs and being like, Holy shit, I feel fucking free. Like, I don't feel tied down to anything. So, yeah, wow. I, from a science perspective, they don't have an answer, which means that they don't have a pharmaceutical to match that, right? Like, that's really what that answer means.
1: Right. But, but I know that that's not true. Wow, babe. Okay, you know what? When you were telling me that, I actually got kind of sad only because it makes me have a whole other compassion for people with addiction. Because I feel like addictions in society right now are, you know, put down. People don't have any compassion for it. You know, yeah. when you see my home, when you see like a homeless person on the side of the road or a destructive alcoholic, people just completely write them off. But learning this, they are like as a child, you have no control over what happens to you. And it makes me so sad to hear that this really comes from childhood and there's nothing they could do. They couldn't. They can't just be like, I'm leaving (laughs) or like, don't, you know. So so that just gave me a whole other compassion for even like people in my family, you know, like people in my family growing up with addictions. It was always so hard for me and I resent them for it for having that addiction, because what it did to them, and how would it affect us as a family? Mm -hmm. But just hearing that, it's like, wow, it's wasn't in their control at all, actually.
0: Yeah. And it's the same thing, like I said, with, you know, nobody wakes up, and they're like, hey, I want to be obese today. Like, literally, nobody wakes up, and they're like, I want to destroy my life. Like, I want to waste all my money and ruin my family. Like, it just doesn't, no one chooses it. It's not, it has nothing to do with willpower. It's like, it's the nervous system that is trying to fill the void and find relief from the constant cortisol. And like, honestly, just constantly living in defense mode.
1: Wow. That's so fascinating. And the one other thing that I wanted to touch about the food addiction was I also want to like add on to that and just be like, it's so scary about food addiction because you have to eat every day. Right. That's what's scary about it. So it, Like, you obviously don't have to – all the other addictions don't have to happen every day. Whereas, like, food, if you're addicted to it, you still have to eat it. So that's such a dangerous path and, like, dance to do because, on one hand, you're trying to heal this trauma. And on the other hand, you still have to do it every day. It's like, what kind of fucked up situation is that? Exactly. It's like
0: alcoholics, like, they never have to go back to a bar again if they don't want to. They never have to have a drink and they will survive. But we literally have to eat to survive. So it's it's a really this is why I'm so passionate about it because it's you know it's something I dealt with my entire life but it's also like kind of the biggest challenge ever like I'm I'm obsessed with helping people with this because in people I think that any addiction is really shitty and I'm not trying to say one is better than the other but the type of prison that you feel from the one substance that's like designed to keep you alive, but you have to like try and reject or you have to try and restrict. Like it's, it's impossible. It's like, there's no answer, you know?
1: Oh, yes. And so in terms of healing it, is that all supplemental mental mix of both? What is the journey to healing that?
0: Yeah. So like, I thought that my healing, my eating disorder was just, becoming a nutritionist but obviously not like there it it has to be a mix of everything it 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 comes down to the nervous system and understanding how to manipulate it and rewire it so there's a lot of near, n- n- like neuroscience and behavioral neuropsychology in that um it it comes down to understanding brain behavior activity um it also comes down to nutrition because if we're not giving the body the tools that it needs to thrive, then you're always going to be in a state of lack. You're always going to be wanting more. Also dopamine can be created in the gut from the food you eat. So there's very easy ways to do it that way. And then supplementally, um, there's so many ways that supplements can help with this or supplements that help with cravings or supplements that help with withdrawal. Um, There's like very, very easily um, vitamin C. So I'm sure you guys have all heard the, 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 term like going cold turkey so when we like drop a substance or we get rid of something cold turkey where that stems from is actually there was this big research study in a clinic and um half of the people were given vitamin c when they came off their substance and the other half of people were given nothing so cold turkey and what they noticed is that the people that were um you know stopping their substance that were given nothing had really bad withdrawal. So it was like sweaty, thick skin, you know, when you're going through withdrawal, it's like, it's awful, right? So the, the term cold turkey is like referring to not having vitamin C, whereas vitamin C will take away those withdrawal symptoms. So it, it obviously comes down to root cause. Like, I find that, obviously, with most of the addiction people I'm working with, I'm working a lot on a lot of the emotional stuff, I'm doing a lot of inner child healing, I'm doing a lot of that stuff. But you know, you have to incorporate the supplements, the nutrition,
1: the neuroscience, it all has to come together or else it's just not going to be effective. Okay, that's kind of the answer I was hoping to hear. It's it's definitely so many facets, but it all has to come together. It's not going to be a pill that you take or whatever. It's so yeah. much deep healing. Yeah. Um, I have a personal experience that I want to share and maybe you can like analyze it because I've been per- analyzing it in a way – That makes sense to me, but in no way, shape, or form is it based by any sort of science. (laughs) So I, like I said, um, after my dad passed away, I showed Jordana pictures of my skin the other day, and my skin flared up so terribly, and I found myself reaching for food a lot, and I would be finished dinner, and I would be full, and I would still be like, oh, I need more. And I would always be like, why am I doing this? I'm not even hungry, but I couldn't stop eating. And it was like, like I said, like you mentioned, sugary foods, like foods that were bad for me. And that went on for a really long time, you know. And previous to that, I actually had a like eating disorder where I restricted. So I would count my calories. And if I had more than 800 calories a day, I would be mad at myself. And I would work out for two hours. So you can imagine how that looked. And then so I think just I don't know what happened in my brain, but on the opposite end, because I restricted for so long, it was like, okay, now give me all the food. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially I think the traumatic experience really amplified that. Mm -hmm. However, when we had our intake call, I was walking Jordana through this whole story where I'm like, I don't know what it is, but now I have no addiction. However, this is what I think happened is that for the first time in my life, I felt fulfilled and happy. And so, since I had that in my life, I didn't need to seek external things to bring me joy. Is that a thing?
0: So, I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of you know, remember how I said, like, as a children, we learn to like basically push down our true selves, and then that creates like total dysfunction in the nervous system because we're mm. never like, as if we move farther and farther away from the person that we truly are we're never really going to be happy. And so we're going to search to external validate, like external factors to make us happy. And one of those external factors might be having control over what our body looks like and restricting foods, or it might be turning to a substance or food to, you know, fill a void literally to fill yourself up. Um, But so essentially a lot of the work that I do with, with the clients and, and one of the things that I recommend for people either working with me or not is you have to f- fulfill yourself. Like you have to find who you truly are and, and really uncover like who is Marley, who is Jordana, like uncover the the child within you and know how to like feed that child and make that child happy. And then you won't need any addictions. So this is kind of a controversial, um, statement i'm going to make out here but like i truly believe this from the deep of my core like i don't really believe in abstinence i don't believe that abstinence is really necessary i don't think that people should be doing heroin like i'm not saying everybody should be like like doing needles and stuff but i don't when you are truly fulfilled and healed as a person you're not even going to turn to external substances and if you do you won't
1: be addicted to them you'll have an experience and you'll move on wow okay this just brought me another question do you think you could have almost an adverse reaction where you're put off by something that you used to be addicted to? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I I wouldn't say I was ever addicted to alcohol, but I definitely used it as a suppressant and a way to make me feel happy, or not even feel happy, just forget about what I was making me feel sad. Mm-hmm. Definitely in university, I would be like drinking like five days a week. You guys, I can't even have one drink now. So now my connection to alcohol is I don't want to drink it at all. I'm so turned off by it because it affects me so much mentally. I notice how much it affects my anxiety, actually. And it just sets me on a journey where I don't want to go down. So one thing that I used to use as a tool in my toolkit to help me feel free and help me feel forget all of my pain is something that I now am like, I don't even want to touch it. So what's happening there? Yeah, that's okay. You mentioned two really good things. Um, So
0: the first thing is, okay, so let's talk about alcohol for a second. We have something, it's mechanism in the brain, it's called state dependent memory. So essentially when we're, whenever we're in a specific state, then the the nervous system is going to send us cues to behave in certain ways that we've behaved in past, in the past, in that same state. So what that means is that every time you get drunk, this is one of the reasons that why when people are drunk, they end up like crying or being overly emotional, because when they're in that specific state, whether if it's like drunkenness, they remember all of the things that they remembered when that they that was happening before when they were in that same state prior to that event, right? So what might be happening is like, your brain intuitively knows that in a past experience, you've used this thing to self-medicate and you, A, don't need it anymore, and B, it brings up feelings and memories of a time that wasn't authentic to you, that didn't make you feel good. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and you said something else, but now I can't remember. Was it the anxiety that it made me feel worse? Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the other thing is um, a- a- alcohol, the way that it's detoxed, it produces a chemical called acetylaldehyde, um, and acetylaldehyde is very, very hyperactive for the nervous system. So when you're detoxing alcohol, especially if the liver is, can't like keep up with the amount of um, toxins that come in our way, and like let's be honest, we're exposed to so many fucking toxins a day, like nobody's liver can keep up anymore. Um, So if your liver can't keep up and if the nervous system is hyperactive, so that means that, you know, if you're somebody who has has had trauma in the past or you're constantly in that fight or flight stage, any little thing that goes on in the body, like the nerves sense it and they're like, this isn't supposed to be here. And then it like sends a signal to the brain and the brain's like, holy shit, something's going on. Um,
1: And then you start feeling feelings of anxiety. So like, it's all connected that way too. Okay that's so interesting because I'm not kidding I keep having these conversations with even just like my friends in the day-to-day of like this is happening to me with alcohol I don't really know what's going on whereas like I'm so happy we're having this conversation right now because I'm sure a lot of people also experience that with alcohol because just in my circle I've been having the same conversations so this is so cool just to bring it back to science and root it in of like okay this isn't just like kind of happening like this is actually physically occurring in your body and this is why it's happening and for me knowing that and is so fascinating to me so thank you for explaining all of that oh um God. I actually had this whole vision that I literally was going to go on Instagram and be like I'm sober <laughs> <laughs> and like, being one of those people but truly I I just have no no want to drink it anymore and which is so weird because usually I'd be. Like, you know like uh it's rough week like let's have a glass of wine now I'm like I don't know it's so interesting so I don't know what happened also when I'm in Bali I don't know what it is about Bali but everyone's so like healthy it's just like it's just not a drinking vibe whereas Australia's everyone's like let's get drunk five days a week Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it's your environment also I think well my environment really affects it as well totally um okay Jordana we got through one question (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm just gonna skip I had a feeling that was gonna happen, but so much goodness came out of that question. I'm so so happy about that. Um, So this is a question that i it's a question without a question mark, because I don't know how to ask it in a way that makes sense. But hopefully you can, you're always really good at (laughs) putting into what I'm trying to say into a proper sentence. So I think it's well mental health is, has a huge stigma around it there's no argument around that. Yeah. And the thing is I find I meet so many people who are struggling and but I, it's hard for me to be like you need help. Do you know what I mean? It's just a, yeah. this hard barrier of knowing that they need help but can't it's kind of out of context to be like oh you need to see a therapist or you whatever. Yeah. And so I really want to talk about, like, a lot of us, and I'm sure a lot of us even listening to this right now, are struggling with something in our life, you know, maybe it's we're having bloating all the time, maybe we have headaches, and maybe we, you know, have poor digestion or, or, or like, depression, anxiety, and it's so hard for us to first acknowledge that, that it's not right, and second, reach out, and... Yeah. I want to somehow like have a conversation around encouraging us to start reaching out for help. And I think for me, a big thing was just even finding someone that I trusted to have that conversation with. Yeah. And so I was super grateful when I found you. Cause I was like, Oh, finally someone who I really trust. And I'm the type of person, this will be controversial, but I don't want to go to a doctor. And I'm saying that, Mm-hmm. really hesitantly only because like for, I'm just gonna give you one example is that I am very into like you know healing naturally and I learned about candida and I was like oh I definitely have that <laughs> I'm also hypochondriac so I think I have everything but I know I have candida like overgrowth and so I went to the doctor to get tested for it and he's like that's not a thing and I'm like sorry and he's like no that that's witchcraft like that's not a legitimate thing and I was like wait, what? (laughs) And took me out of his office. And I was like, huh. So that kind of like, there's a keep little things like that keep kind of like nudging me of mistrusting doctors. However, I'm not going to generalize that because I have gone to doctors where they have prescribed me like yoga and meditation. So I know it was just like the person. Um, However, I think when it comes to healing and me personally wanting to heal in a natural way, finding you I was really grateful for. So my question is, at the end of this is how do we like encourage people in a gentle way to reach out or even realize something is wrong? Okay. So
0: I think that, I think that in general, like we've been taught as human beings and as like, as we're growing up to like push down our feelings, like we've been taught that like we're supposed to endure a certain degree of um, not feeling good. And so we kind of like, feel like anything that's going wrong in our body, it might be just like somewhat normal and we don't like really pay attention to it, but anything, any sign in the body. And especially when it comes to mental health, like these are, this is the body trying to talk to you being like, Hey, something's not right here. Like pay attention to me. Um, and so I think that when I'm t- like you said, you know, when you're talking to somebody else who, and you don't know how to be like, Hey dude, you need help. Um, obviously you don't say it like that. But some of the approaches that I take with that is I, I ask things like, Hey, how does your heart feel? Like, do you? How does your body feel? Like you know, I'm I'm asking like, h- how have your moods been these past couple of days? I know, like for me, it's been kind of hard in quarantine or whatever. Like I try and relate myself to their situation or give them examples where you know I've reached out and I've gotten help. Um, but obviously, you never want to be like, "Dude, you need help," because at the end of the day, um, especially when it comes to addictions, like people if they're not ready, you're not ready. And there are ways if a, if a good practitioner will know how to get people into the state of readiness, like will know how to, how to change somebody from contemplation to preparation and actions, motivation, of st- changes, of, of stages of change. But um, I think that when it comes to destigmatizing mental health, the fact of the matter is, I've literally never met one person who hasn't been depressed or anxious at one point in their life, like, we all go through shit like life is full of shit and your shit just follows you from one situation to the next. So if we internalize it, we act like islands alone, but if we can reach out and talk about it, like then we kind of can join these islands and we can use our forces. And, and so much of mental health comes down to needing social interaction and like needing to be heard. And so if you can't tell somebody like, hey, you need to go and talk to a therapist, like you can kind of be the stand-in therapist for that person if it's somebody, you know, where there's a good trust relationship and be like, How you doing, man? Like, tell me what's going on in your life. Cause sometimes really all people need is to get it off their chest and then they realize, like, hey, I need to do this more often.
1: Wow, Jordan, I'm so grateful that you that I asked you that question because that was such a great answer. And I'm just thinking about like a few people in my life that I've like even just asking what's on your heart is such a powerful question yeah i'm like tattooing that on my forehead so people can answer that every time they see me that is so powerful and it's not just like hey what's up it's like no what is on your heart how are you feeling and yeah. it's so true that all of us have experienced something at some point And especially if you grew up being like, oh, just tough it out or, you know, come on, like nothing's actually wrong hearing that type of thing. You just suppress it, right? And you happy-go-lucky. We all have those friends that are happy-go-lucky, but then you really talk to them and they're not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So just being able to almost – if you have friends that you recognize that in, I think that's such a great advice just to be like, how is your heart? Like how are you feeling and also relating to them because we've all been there. We've all been there yeah and if you haven't like please let me know how (laughs) (laughs) um so thank you for sharing that and i just want to go into kind of like sharing my story a bit around anxiety and just talking about like how jordana did help me um just for anyone out there who also is struggling with it because i truly am so fine and happy to talk about mental health and I do really want to bring awareness to it because I think the more we talk about it, the more open people get and the more people feel comfortable with seeking help so if anyone's listening to this who's also struggling from anything like please reach out I am to either of us I'm sure to, and we can help guide you um and the way that I I was just I don't know why I Actually, no, I'm a very sensitive being. And I noticed <laughs> at the very beginning of COVID, I was like, everything was great. I just met Max, you know, I was leaving Australia. And then for me, I think what happened, um, I mean, a lot of childhood things probably hit, a rear hit its head. But I had a point, and this is going to sound so weird, but it was like I finally had everything. And my anxiety was like, nope. That's not okay. Like you're not allowed to have everything. You're not allowed to be happy and have a great job and have a great relationship and live in Australia. Who are you? And self sabotage completely. I was like, I after going through that, I've read The Big Leap, which I think is a really interesting book about you know actually achieving and having everything you want and your body being okay with that because it was a very uncomfortable state for me. And obviously not everything that I wanted, but things. For example, a very healthy, happy relationship, I truly did not think I deserved that. So when I was in it, my body was like, what is happening? And I just was like so – and it caused me so much anxiety and self-sabotage. And so obviously I worked so hard, people know, through like manifestation, healing my subconscious wounds, and like all these things to manifest a partnership. And then I get it, and I'm like, don't know what to do with this. Um so that's kind of and then obviously I'm very sensitive. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I truly do feel like I can feel like the energy of like the conscious be like the group around me. So mm-hmm. when COVID hit, obviously everyone was very stressed, very anxious, so many hardships. Like if you just turned on the news, it was basically just so depressing. And I really took that on, and I'm sure a lot of people did. I'm not alone in that. And let's not forget, we're still going through that. Like, when we turn on the news, this many deaths, like, this – and the news lately has been absolutely so sad. So I think a lot of humans, if not everyone, does feel that on some certain extent. Like, this is not normal. We are in a global pandemic, and I think we're kind of, like, brushing it under the rug. Like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. But I think it's completely okay – to not be okay right now especially with the climate and yeah so that's a rant but bringing it back to around to when I finally met someone who I felt like I really trusted and working with Jordana it was like I don't want to say easy but she gave me a few tools mental tools and then supplements and this led me on a journey of I don't want to say I'm 100% healed because I don't think you're not just like, I'm not like a miraculous case, but I feel so much better. And this was not through any sort of medication. This was truly through supplements and through all natural supplements and some like practices to work on, like for my anxiety mentally and simple tools. And so I kind of want to bring that to the next question is for listeners, is there anything like easy things that we can do at home for free right now if we are struggling with anxiety and or depression that someone can start implementing in their day to day? Maybe that bridges the gap until they work with you, Jordana, or until they find someone that they would like to work with until they're ready to seek out help or or even just recommending it to a friend that is struggling right now.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so many things. And like, I could literally be here for an hour talking about it, but I'll talk about like a couple things in particular. And then you're going to talk about one thing, cause I know you're way better at this than me. Um, <laughs> so the first thing that I'll say is journaling. So, I mean, this is so important, but essentially if you like picture your life as a barrel, especially if you're somebody who like stress eats or stress does any compulsive behavior, that's not good. Like picking or biting your nails. Like, um, so if you picture your life as like a barrel, everything that happens to you just like fills up the barrel, fills up, fills up, fills up up until like one day it just tips over and that's when like shit hits the fan so we have to like like we have to like un un, uh, unpack the barrel we have to take some stuff out before more stuff can fit in so for me like journaling is really literally like unloading the shit that is going on in your head like when everything's going on in your head and you don't put it somewhere, it just stays there. So I'm also a big talker in case you guys (laughs) haven't realized. So I like, I really need to talk my feelings out, but like my husband, when I, he keeps everything internalized. So, it's really just like me talking all the time and him be like keeping everything in. And so one of the practices we both do is like, we both really got into the habit of journaling. And then like, I don't kill him with my incessant talking, and he actually can get stuff out. And so it doesn't just bottle up inside until he spills right over. Um, So journaling is something I really recommend. The other thing um, is, and I actually gave this recommendation to Max this morning, but this is probably hands down, like, the most cost effective and most just effective treatment in general. If you're somebody that deals with any mental health disorders, any hormonal imbalances, weight loss, like pretty much literally like liver issues, pretty much anything that can dysregulate the body. This is like the answer. So, um, essentially like human beings are, we were designed to be outside. Like we've only been sedentary and in like living inside for like 0.05% of the existence of the human species. So, Really, like we are regulated by our circadian rhythm and the way that the sun rises and sets. And without getting too like neuroscience freaky on you guys basically the eyes are just like an extension of the brain. So like one day they just like popped right out and like, and developed, <laughs> adapted to our environment, um, which is, I think the coolest thing ever. Um, so we have these um, things in the eyes, these retinal ganglial cells, they're right at the back of the pupils, and they detect certain spectrums of light. So basically, like as the sun is rising, it gives off like a specific spectrum of light of like, blues and yellows, and it's like certain colors, right? And so what happens is when we expose our pupils to that spectrum of light, it our retinal ganglion cells stimulate the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is like this portion of the brain and sets our internal clock for every single organ in the body so all you have to do is go outside for like a five minute walk and expose your pupils to the light you can't wear sunglasses it can't be through the window and you literally have your own like hormone regulating system and when we talk about things like depression and anxiety like this is all hormones folks like This is like serotonin and dopamine, like these neurotransmitters are all hormone-based. Like estrogen plays a big role. Testosterone plays a big role in like happiness and drive and motivation. So um, this is literally that like the most free, free and like effective thing anyone can do ever. And it's ironically the thing in my practice I recommend the most and people do the least. It kills me. (laughs) I'm like, it's free, guys. And I think because they're not paying for it, they don't see how like valuable it is, but it's literally the most valuable practice you can ever, um, you can ever engage in. So the last thing that I will say is you can reduce the inflammatory foods in your diet. So, um, I actually offer food intolerance tests because it changed my life. Like as soon I was switched from dairy to almond, everything. And then I like, was still experiencing headaches and brain fog and all this shit. And like my weight was stubborn and I did a food intolerance test and almonds is one of my top things. So I remove almonds. I lose like 10 pounds. I have no more headaches. Like So it's really important to know the foods that work with your body and don't. But if you don't want to do that test, like just removing the food foods that are inflammatory to everybody is beneficial. So that's like gluten, dairy, sugar, and um, egg whites are a really big top one. And unfortunately, corn, unless it's like organic.
1: Okay, interesting. That is so good. and just for everyone listening, remember how I said very early in the conversation that I was listening to her explain to Max all these things? That's when she was talking about the eyeballs, the glow, the blah, 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 blah. I was like, what? But also it made, comp- I was like, yes, that makes sense. And I love the way you just described it as an internal clock for your organs. I'm like, yeah. whoa. As Jordan is talking, I'm like, try to look out the window. I'm like, okay. But it's through a window, so I'm like, oh, no. Um, but that is so cool. And You know what's so crazy to me is, so after Jordan Jordan and I worked together, I actually ended up losing a lot of weight, and that wasn't really my intention, but it obviously felt really good, and I feel like I'm just kind of like balancing back to how my body is meant to be, and I bet you a big part of it is that I started going on morning walks every single morning. And that was really because I I truly stopped working out. I stopped caring what I ate, and I lost weight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This is ev- against everything I've ever believed to be true." Um, like so, we're so- not, yeah, we're like
0: we're not designed for the like forty five minute high intensity boot camps. Like in no nowhere in the evolution of humans are we designed to like kill ourselves for forty five <sighs> minutes and then sit down for the rest of the day. Like we're designed to hunt and gather. Like we're designed to like walk all day be bipedal so i mean i granted i do boot camps because i have no time to be like walking all day but i wish i did um, yeah. one day i'll get there one day i'll buy my time um but <laughs> but yeah like I, I i think it's probably the most important practice that anyone can include in their thing but i really want you to talk about breath work if we have time because yeah, that's something that that is really helpful and i know you're really good at oh my gosh
1: Okay, if anyone follows me on Instagram, they're gonna be like, "Oh, Marley talking about breathwork again." So, okay, we are running out of time. Can I tell a story really quick? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, almost a year ago in Bali, I I was here with a friend, Freedom Rage, that is not her name, Rachel Hunt. That's her Instagram name, and um, we had heard about breathwork. Literally, it was kind of like it was kind of on my radar, and I just want to say this was a year ago. So this just shows how much things change. So we went to this one place called Radiantly Alive in Dhabi. It's like this very hippy-dippy, well-known. Um, so I don't want to say hippy-dippy. <laughs> um, it's like very yoga. It's, it's really, really cool. And so we get there, and it was an hour and a half of just breath work. And I'm like, I'm going to be laying here for an hour and a half of breath work? Like, I'm just breathing? Like, yeah, right, this isn't going to do anything. I felt like I just took, like, most insane amount of drugs ever. I like left my body. I was bawling my eyes out. Like all this this whole insane journey. I'm not saying you have to do this every single time. So this is probably one of most healing things I've ever done. And I was just really confused because all I did was breathe. Um, obviously, there's a the facilitator. It's not just breathing. But the way it made me feel and what I released was life-changing. I felt like I just lost like 20 pounds after it. So, okay, I need to pay attention to this because this is really fascinating to me. And then I think like it I started picking up popularity. And then on a lot of podcasts, I'd be listening to, you know, Wim Hof. We've all heard Wim Hof. And one of the podcasts I listened to, The Skinny Confidential, she started doing the Wim Hof breath work every morning and said that it was, like, way better, had a way better, like, feeling after than meditation. And at that point, I was meditating every day. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I'm, I just tried it out. And I had the same reaction. So I felt way lighter and truly completely different after I do a breath work in the most positive way. So now my morning routine consists of a breath work. And for those of you listening, it's not a whole journey experience of like enlightenment. You can there's literally one online. I'll put it in my link in my bio. I I always shut it out, but it's a free one on YouTube by Wim Hof, and it's only 10 minutes. And it always sets me up to put me in the best mood. And it just, i Jordan, maybe you can explain. I don't know what happens scientifically. But on a personal note, I just know that. So I've committed to doing it every day this week. And the difference that I feel in my day and mentally and my energy is completely different than last week when I stopped doing it. So breath work, I'm a huge fan of um for energy for my mental health for setting me up for a positive day and then we can go into how that relates to like manifestation because when you feel good you're a magnet for the positive things that you're trying to attract so I think it has a ripple effect through so many areas of my life um I also love meditation even just like taking that 10 minutes for you at the beginning of the day for your brain to just like reset I think is so beautiful and such a beautiful practice yeah yeah, that's a great one. Thank you for reminding me that. Okay, George, we have been talking for an hour and a half somehow. <laughs> I love this podcast so, so much. And I know it's going to help so many people just listening to it, educating, like sharing education, learning for themselves. And if anyone listening has someone who could benefit from this knowledge, please share it with them. And Jordana, thank you so much for coming on. I've wanted to do this podcast with you for ages. Our calendars are very opposite (laughs) and we figured it out. So I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your amazing, incredible knowledge with everyone. I'm just so grateful for this podcast.
0: Oh my God, thank you, thank you for giving me the platform to to share. And um, yeah, I'm grateful for this podcast too. I listen to it all the time, and especially the like mindset uh, meditation one I, or manifestation one I listen to like on a daily basis. So thank you. and um yeah, I guess just uh, it, was, it was nice to see you. <laughs>
1: um, show yourself out. Where can everyone find you on Instagram, on your website? Yeah, yeah, good call. Um, so I pretty much like solely
0: market on Instagram. Um, so I'm at the Mindful Clinic. Um, full is like with two L's, so like mind and then full belly. And then um my website is like www.themindfulclinic.com. dot com. So you can find me there.
1: Perfect. And I'm gonna link that all in the show notes so everyone can go find Jordana and you guys, how much does Jordana need a podcast? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I, when we were talking, I was like, "Wow, you were meant to speak. <laughs> it's so great." Okay, thank you, babe. I know poor Jordan; she's had like a full day of back-to-back calls and then just did this podcast. But you freaking <laughs> killed it! So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. love thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Okay, bye, bye.